0: we And welcome to episode 118 of Some Like It, Scott. I'm your host, Scott Harvey, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Scott Sheldon. Today on the podcast, us Southerners will give our expert opinions on whether there's any truth at the heart of Ron Howard's adaptation of the bestseller, Hillbilly Elegy. But first, how are you, Scott?
1: I'm doing pretty well. I had a nice Thanksgiving up here in Boston. Obviously, uh, I shouldn't say obviously, but I stayed put, didn't travel for the Thanksgiving holiday, definitely didn't seem... Worth it just with the short, you know, with the short time frame, the quick turnaround, multiple flights for me going back to Tennessee from up here and with COVID getting worse and worse. So stayed put. It's been very relaxing. I've had since uh, Wednesday, since last Wednesday off. So it's been a nice time, five day weekend and uh, feeling pretty refreshed. Well, you know, I can't hardly say I'm ever like, you know, chomping at the bit to get back to work when I could uh, just have more days of vacation. But look, I'm, I'm feeling refreshed and, and ready to go and ready to talk about a movie today. A movie.
0: Yeah, I find myself in you know the same boat now. Actually, with having to go to work tomorrow, Um, that's not necessarily. I mean, I guess I would have been going back to school, but uh, it's not quite the same thing. But uh, yeah, no, I I finals
1: right now, so maybe that's worse.
0: Yeah, actually, though the law school this year they uh, they finish early, so the the students who are there right now actually are done already. So they they're done through Christmas, which is really nice for them. But. But yeah, I had a uh, pretty uneventful Thanksgiving for the first time ever in my life, I guess. I wasn't with my family on Thanksgiving. Um, But, you know, I've made the most of it. I uh, found myself a uh, a place over here, a cafeteria over here near where I live. Uh, I had to wait in line for like an hour, but I got uh, a a nice Thanksgiving meal for only $5, um, which, and it was plenty of food too. Um, Very good. Uh, And then I watched... uh, Taylor Swift concert movie and I watched little Women for the night ninth time um, I actually do think it's a it's a Thanksgiving a good Thanksgiving movie I mean it's a great movie about family so uh, there was actually more reason to watch it this time than maybe the seven of the other times I've watched it but I also have to watch it for trivia coming up
1: but I think it's um, a Christmas movie Scott it came out on Christmas last year you're jumping the gun it.
0: It is a Christmas movie, but I feel like Thanksgiving is even more about family than Christmas is, And so, yeah. um, you know, family obviously is one of the major ideas in Little Women. Uh, and if you'd like to just spend the rest of this podcast talking about more, talking more about Little Women, um, I'm certainly fine to do that. Uh, you know, it's been a year since we last talked about it. So.
1: Yeah, uh, was it in our? We did a double with Little Women and something else last. Uncut I can't Uncut Gems. Yeah. Oh, what a double feature! What a classic it double feature was. We yeah, had I think some, we had have some a- great movie theater experiences together last year. Uncut Gems for the second time for each of us was was one of the top ones. I'd say.
0: I think we are planning to do at least like one double feature coming next month. But I'd be surprised if it was uh, on the same level as as that one. Yeah, Oof, that that was yeah. pretty high quality right there. But.
1: Um, so if so we're talking about Thanksgiving movies, I know we talked about it last week, but I got to I got to plug mine cuz I watch Knives Out, which I think is an even more appropriate Thanksgiving movie than Little Women. So.
0: Again, it just just depends on how you feel about your family, I guess. Um, I love my
1: family, but I think dysfunction is such a critical part of it. So it's it's really <laughs> funny to see the Thrombies uh go go at it and, you know, I think we can all aspire to be Ransom, right? So. Oh yeah, uh, Killer? Yeah, you're you're totally right. <laughs> he didn't kill um, anyone. He killed that lady. The, oh, he she he did kill Fran, didn't he? That, that's yeah. right. Yeah, yeah, he did. He did kill Fran. Did I you think. even watch the movie, bro? Um, dude, dude, come on! It wasn't it wasn't him that killed Fran. It was the morphine that killed Fran. He attempted to kill. He attempted uh, to kill a lot of people.
0: <laughs> Harlan as well, but
1: um, and uh, no, whatever,
0: whatever. Har-
1: Harlan and is Christopher um, Marta. Marta's name is. Yeah, Harlan, yeah, and then Marta at the end with the fake knife.
0: <laughs> Point being, we do not aspire to be him. Um, I, at least I hope not, uh, well, if we, if we do, then you're, you're probably better off not going home for the holidays. I'll say, <laughs> that. um, all right, Scott, well, we don't have a double feature for you today. We just have uh, one movie and that movie, as I said, uh, earlier is the much talked about Hillbilly Elegy based on the best selling autobiography by JD Vance, Hillbilly Elegy is a country fried story of returning to your roots starring Gabriel Basso mm-hmm. in the lead role as JD Vance. The film directed by Ron Howard flashes back and forth between Vance's childhood in Middletown, Ohio, where he's caught between his drug-addled blues cannon mother Bev, played by Amy Adams, and his crotchety, world-weary grandmother played by Glenn Close. As time goes on, JD grows angry at his mother's unpredictable mood swings and can't seem to understand why his grandmother continues to put up with Bev's self-destructive behavior. He vows to leave Ohio and eventually does, attending Yale Law School on a financial aid package, where he meets and falls in love with Usha, played by Frida Pinto. But when his mother ends up in the hospital after an overdose the day before J.D. is supposed to attend a key job interview, J.D. will have to decide what's most important to him, his family or his future, as he reckons with the impact the former has had on the latter. Scott hillbilly Elegy was previously thought to be a surefire Oscar contender, but negative critical reactions have seemingly stopped its awards campaign in its tracks. Did the critics get this one right, or is there more than meets the eye to Howard's adaptation of this controversial bestseller?
1: Yeah, look, I'll say this much about this. I don't think the critics got it entirely right, or I should say I think they went a little bit overboard on this one for me. It, is the film good or Oscar worthy? I, I don't think so. No, it, to, to me, it, to the best I was reading this, I I can't remember right now who the who the reviewer was that said this, but it, it just feels like a complete missed opportunity. Cause I think there's a lot of potential there. I mean, there's, I mean, Amy Adams and Glenn close are two of the most talented actresses in Hollywood, right? There's a lot of potential there to do something really meaningful. And, and I think that, you know, for the most part, they give real like pretty good performances for me, especially Glenn close. I think Glenn close is even, even in this film, like an Oscar worthy type performance for me. Uh, and, but overall it feels like a missed opportunity because you know, even though this is an authentic story, and I think you feel the authenticity in that, and it is based on a memoir written by, you know, the main character of the movie. It doesn't narratively really work that well, I think. And the more that I've sat with this in the last 24 hours or so, it really just feels like it shortchanges some of like the really the climate, like the climactic moment, the emotional moments that are supposed to matter and supposed to tie together something really well. And, and as a result, I think it largely underserves, particularly Bev, the mother um, whose character feels somehow half baked in this, like it feels like you it, it really feels like you're looking through a window at this character and not really exploring arguably the most interesting character, or what should, should be the most interesting character in the story, right? And I think you get a little bit more under the surface with um uh, with is it Mama? Does she even have a name? Bonnie, I guess, according to what uh, yeah, Mama. I think Bonnie
0: is said a couple of times,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah Mama. Mama, which is the closest character. Um, but but it, and and you, and you get a little bit more under under the under the surface there with her and understand her motivations and how she thinks a little bit more. But I don't think you ever really get that with Bev, um, who is a little bit disappointing, especially when you have someone as talented. Especially in my opinion, you, you know, and our listeners know how much I rate Amy Adams. Um, to have a to have a character that narratively really underdelivers, I think, um, in terms of how it's written and the portrayal of it, and it just feels like in the last 10 or 15 minutes of the movie, it then tries to tell you, you know what the point of everything was. Right. In this like super long narrative section where he's like talking to Usha on the phone about like, you know, all these, all these things that he loved about his grandmother and his family and all all this different stuff. And has this like monologue section for uh, Glenn close as well in the car. When, you know, he throws the calculator out the window. It's just like, I mean, I, I get it, I guess, but like, this isn't the way that you tell a story. And I haven't read the book, which I know is a bestseller, if if not controversial as well. Um, but I can't imagine like, like the story is authentic. It's this individual story. I assume he's not making stuff up about his own life, but it just feels like it's not delivered in, in a way that really lands the way a story like this should, because it's not that the story isn't real. I mean, some people obviously, I mean, I didn't have an experience. Like this growing up, like I didn't have a family members who were addicted to drugs or, you know, were physically abusive towards each other and verbally abusive towards, you know, each other to the extent that you see here, of course, on the on the screen, because it's pretty extreme at times. But look, it, it feels real. Like I, I know that stuff exists out there. It's not that the story doesn't doesn't feel like it's authentic and stuff. It just doesn't feel like it it hits home the way it should. I mean, talk about like when I originally was reading about this film, thinking about that was going to be something about like the opioid epidemic. I didn't really get that at it. At all. Right. Like it, I feel like this this was originally sold as a movie about how the like fentanyl and like o- opioids are like ravaging, you know, the, you know, the Midwest and, you know, maybe parts of the South. And I mean, that's like not even really touched on in the movie hardly at all. And so ultimately, I'm not really sure what the point of of the film was, which I think is the, the toughest thing um, for me. If not, again, if we go back to the Oscar conversation, the Oscar Beatty conversation and and it trying to be an awards, an award winner here like, unless it's just a vehicle for Glenn Close and Amy Adams, which I don't really see either of them probably getting into the awards conversation, even if I think Glenn Close maybe deserves it. It's just disappointing, right? Like, there's nothing, there's nothing super interesting about this film. And ultimately, it feels like it's emotional high points should have been like 20 times higher with with the subject material that you're working with here. So, look, I I don't think the movie, I've been pretty negative here. I don't think the movie is, is as bad as, you know, a, 30 something or whatever it has on metacritic and rotten tomato always skews like polarizes just based off like overwhelming negative or overwhelming positive reviews. Cause it's just counting negative and positive and the percentage of that. But I, I think it's better than what mid thirties or whatever it is on metacritic, but it's, it's not in the awards conversation for me.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think you've hit on it there in the last part of what you were saying that, you know, this book was controversial for, you know, well, so it does talk a lot about the opioid crisis, from what I understand, like that is an element of the book. And I also, as I said, the book was controversial, because it was seen sort of as a way, and J.D. Vance is someone who apparently has been associated with some conservative organizations, things like that, um, in his own life, it is is seen basically as a story of how, uh, like, meant for white liberals to understand how a People in these states can vote for, people in these red states can vote for somebody like Trump um, and to maybe like sort of have some sort of sympathy for that. And look.
1: Really? That's, I don't know. wow. <laughs> Didn't get that at all from the, from
0: the movie. That's, that's what the movie is the about. Right? And <laughs> that's the thing, right? That's um, the thing, right? Like, I don't necessarily agree with that, you know, again, that thesis, whatever from the the book. But if that would have been the movie, it would have been a more interesting movie, right? Like, at least it sure. would have been about something. This movie is about nothing. It is about nothing, Scott. Like this is a self-important Yale lawyer who thinks that his life story is like some sort of earth-shattering revelation to people from the South. People, I mean, I don't even count Ohio as the South. That's well, the, yeah,
1: that, that was another confusing part. Yeah. Some some reviewers it, were like saying hobbyist. that, the, like, it, yeah, the Deep South. I'm like, dude, <laughs> Ohio is not in the South, and Kentucky certainly isn't the Deep South. No, not at all. Yeah, I mean, he's from Ohio and Kentucky. So, like, Kentucky, yeah, I
0: understand. Like, I think it's more just like rural, poverty stricken, like, and and that's part of the thing. It's
1: it's working class. It's it's about it's about the working class. That's what it's supposed to be about. But
0: that's a problem in and of itself, right? That the people see that sort of thing depicted on screen and they're like, "Oh, this is the South." Well, no, like this goes on all over the country. But anyway, that's a side note. But like, this movie has no point to it whatsoever. Again, this is like J.D. Vance. I, and I understand the book was about, you know, it had had more to it. So I don't like blame him too much. It's more of just like the film that Ron Howard decides decided to make is a movie, which is basically just about JD. Vance patting himself on the back for two hours about how, you know, amazing it is that he was able to make it out of this, you know, awful family life and go to Yale and become what he was, get this, you know great job in the end, find this great girlfriend. Um, played by Frida Pinto and
1: poor Frida you know, they, Pinto in Netflix movies this year man. I know
0: and, and then like you know ties it up in the end being like my family made me who I was and I'm like really it's like do we really believe that like do we really believe that that yeah. just that seems like a weird way to put a bow on it. and even even so right like even if you do believe that like this movie is such a singular story right like it is so specific it seems like to this one person that I don't see what sort of insight, what sort of truth, you know, what again, what sort of, what yeah. point there is to putting, to, to rendering the story in this particular way, right? Like devoid of any of the political context, devoid of any of the socioeconomic stuff about poverty, about, you know, why these people are in this situation in the first place, opioids being a huge part of that. Like this literally is like the definition of an Oscar bait movie where we are going to make this movie just so, these people can act, can act yeah. with a capital A, capital C, capital T on screen. And maybe finally Glenn Close and Amy Adams will get an Oscar. Well, that is they're not going to. And they shouldn't because Glenn Close is not doing anything that we've, we haven't seen before. And Amy Adams, like, I'm sorry, I'm a huge fan of her as well. I think she's bad in this film. Like, I honestly do. And I do think that a lot of the problem is on the page. But I don't think that she um, really put much into this or – Shall we say that she she puts a lot into it, and it that that sort of like her overacting, overacting, she overacting is is, la- is lazy, right? Like that is what you expect. That is the direction you fully expect her to go in this movie. Again, we talked about the trailer for this a few weeks ago, Scott, and like we kind of were you know having some conversation about well, you know, trailers don't tell the whole story, whatever. Like, I think the trailer was pretty dead on with the type of movie that I expected and, and you know, what the what the movie ended up being. And, um, yeah, look, maybe I again, I haven't read the book. Maybe there's something plan on it <laughs> important to be gleaned from the book, um, but there's certainly nothing important to be gleaned from this film. And I think. Ron Howard was probably not the right person to direct this film, maybe is what I'm saying in the end, because he is yeah. known for straightforward middle of the road, down the middle entertainment for, you know, the average American. And that's not really the treatment that this story needed, because as we see, this was, again, completely devoid of any sort of inside of
1: yeah, look, I I think that that's I, I don't agree with with what you're saying there. I think that the movie is about a little a, something. It's a little bit more than what you're describing as nothing because I, I don't think that's true. I just think that by the time it actually tells you what the movie is about, you don't care anymore because it's like an hour and a half into the film. It has to tell you what it's about. <laughs> no, I, I eh, maybe. Um, I and I disagree about about Amy Adams' performance being bad, but I mean we can talk more about that later. Um. For me, this film—I mean, this ultimately—what if I had to say, like, okay, what's the thing that you take away, or like, what's the interesting aspect of what this movie is about? And and to me, it's this guy choosing, you know, after like after this message, like family is what's most important, being pounded into him his entire life, in this like critical moment where he's in this hotel room with his with his mom, who's literally like just just got out, you know, just just OD'd and is and was trying to shoot up again, and. He, you know, he chooses his own life rather than like getting stuck in this like negative feedback loop of of you know generations of people who are stuck in this town or stuck in this area in the same you know style of life. And yeah, his sister might be okay or however she describes herself. She's not like she's like I'm great. She said I'm okay, right? Haley Bennett's character in the film, you know, uh, Lindsay. And, but he chooses instead to like you know I have I have this opportunity that a lot of people don't have, and I'm choosing. Um, to go against all of these different aspects in my life that you know I've lived up to this point, where I've been told and I've experienced over and over again that family is supposed to be the most important thing. You know, I've done I've done what I can here. I'm not going to sacrifice opportunities in life and the life that I could live um, for that. And I think that is what the movie is the most in, the most interesting aspect of the movie. Which again, I don't think it's too strongly emphasized in it. Right, like it's not right. I think it's I think it's a half step, not a full step towards. You know, being interesting, but I think it's about more than nothing to me. I, I I think that's a little bit unfair to say, but that's that's my take on my and my perspective on it. And, and that you know, that's very La La Landy almost of, of it, right? In terms of like themes and the way the movies kind of end, it it doesn't hammer it home like La La Land does, and certainly isn't as effective. But um, it's interesting to see another film be like, you know, actually, you know, going with your heart or whatever is not the most important. That doesn't always have to be the true the like the sexy or romantic path to take. It sometimes it's just being selfish is actually the right path to take and you'll end up. I
0: was going to say you brought up La La Land. I can't believe we're bringing up all these great movies in the conversation, but I was going to say that's, that is Haley Lou Richardson's arc in Columbus right there. Having to realize that staying with her mother in Columbus, who is a drug
1: addict, even um, better than La La Land in my opinion. It's not going to work out. Oh yeah,
0: absolutely. Uh, I mean, I love love La La Land too, but, uh, but yeah, point being, if you want to watch a movie about that, Go watch Columbus instead. Yeah, and trust um, me, if you told someone, if you, if you
1: told someone that this movie is about a guy who has a lot of opportunity from a poor town, choosing choosing for you know choosing himself like choosing his own career path over you know his his mother his like drug addicted mother in a critical moment, like if you said like okay, do you want to watch that kind of movie? Like you would not tell them to go watch *Hillbilly Elegy*. Like it's no. just like, not the movie that you'd go tell them to watch. I, there is no
0: scenario right where. <laughs> Even if, the, even if somebody came to me and said, I want to watch a movie where Glenn Close plays a crotchety old grandma who just puts people down with sassy burns, I would be like, go watch uh, 101 Dalmatians or something. <laughs> <laughs> go watch uh, Albert Knobs. I don't know, but uh, don't watch this film. There's no scenario in which I would tell anyone to watch this film. But, Scott, we talked a little bit about the cast there, um, and obviously Amy Adams and, uh, and Glenn Close are sort of the big talking points, but let's spend a minute talking about the person who actually plays the lead role, and that is Gabriel Basso, uh, kind of an unknown actor. Um, obviously, we have some flashbacks and stuff uh, where he's played by a different person as a child, but Gabriel Basso playing the adult version of J.D. Vance. Uh, did this performance leave you with anything?
1: Uh, I understand why he's not well-known. <laughs> it's not particularly, uh, not yeah. particularly good performance in my book, Scott. I don't know if you have uh, anything more to add. I, I don't want to harp on it too much, but man, do I feel like he's just saying words and not acting?
0: Yeah. I, there is like a hollerness to like the way that he delivers his lines for sure. It's it, it you don't get the sense that he has lived in these situations. Like that he, he understands the situation that this character is in at all, which like is very important because it's a very personal story. It's a memoir. You know, he's, this is someone's actual life um, yeah. that is being depicted on screen. And, um, you know, he he's he's not giving it uh, the approach uh, of someone who has at least put themselves tried uh, tried to put themselves in the shoes of the main character. I think this is a pretty flat performance. Um, yeah. Again, I mean, I I personally don't think it's that far removed quality wise from the other performances in the film, but we can get into that in a second. But um, sure. I uh, yeah, I I didn't much care for the character. Uh, I, I I mean, this is not. Really related to the performance, but I hated the scene where they were at the. He was at the dinner, and like the guy brings up like the. Well, when you go home, you must be looking around. Like, look at all these rednecks, and I was just like, I don't believe that that happened. Like, I, I, honestly he, I was,
1: I was wondering that that the same thing because I was like. Look, I've met plenty of people who are like out of touch who don't who don't get it but like that's a, that's a big wolf to say something like that at a, at in a, at that dinner sort like of that. setting like Yeah. It's not like it was 30 years ago either. <laughs> it's like 2011. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that
0: that feels right there like a freaking Trumpers like understanding of like like well, look, you know, they all just look down on us. They're so anti-Trump because they're just like, you know, these stuck-up liberals or whatever who don't understand like what it's like to live in my situation that that's what that portrayal feels like right there and it's it's just so one note to me that i just i cringed really hard um yeah to say and, then, and then he Although gets I, invited. I, did,
1: I did like the sick burn that the other person on the table put on him though after it's like oh i messed that up he's like yeah you did <laughs>
0: yeah uh, and then he gets
1: invited back at the
0: end and i was just like I don't understand. But
1: that was a different why. guy. That uh, was a different, It's a different
0: guy. Uh, well, but yeah, but the guy was sitting there like uh, the other guy was sitting there. And I know sure. there's like a moment where it's like he disapproved of the comment that the guy made whatsoever. But like, yeah. I don't know. I just, I, I didn't understand why he got invited back based on the scene that we saw. But also, um,
1: I I did look up JD Vance after just out of curiosity to see if like he ended up working at this particular law firm that was mentioned. He didn't. He worked for Peter Thiel's like, in, like venture capital fund. After and, he graduated from law and school, and that's
0: another—that's another reason that people are like not so hot on this book because of like what he has gone on to do with his life. And
1: I mean, whatever. Uh, like, I—I I don't like people policing people's stories. That yeah, I don't say that. Either, that's yeah. like that's like it's the kids. It's like the guy's story. It's his life. Like I don't know. Like that you can't deal. That's with It's not relevant
0: guy. to the story that he's trying to tell. Like
1: in yeah, ju- just because he like, goes and works for Peter Thiel, and then I mean now he's like. I don't know. Isn't he part of like some like conservative think tank now or something like that? I'm I'm not even sure. But his so his girlfriend in the movie, his wife in real life, like clerked for Brett Kavanaugh and and Chief Justice John Roberts. Like she's clerked for like a bunch of obviously now he He obviously Kavanaugh wasn't. I wasn't Supreme Court Justice at the time, but
0: he can be a bad person and still have a story that we can learn something from. I think that uh, that's something that I learned so much from Vice about Dick Cheney. People could do well to understand. Oh, yeah. Dick Cheney bad, the tagline of Vice. Um, All right, Scott, let's talk about the big two performances in this movie. Amy Adams as (laughs) Bev and Glenn Close as Mama. Obviously, the talking points around them have been, look, these are two of the most nominated actresses for Academy Awards who have never won. Uh, Amy Adams has been nominated six times. Glenn Close has been nominated seven times, um, and they've never won. You know, Glenn Close obviously was, was very close, no pun intended, a couple of years ago. Um, but was sort of surprisingly beaten out by Olivia Coleman. Um
1: was that a surprise? Wasn't Olivia Coleman favorite doing I, that?
0: No, I, I don't think she was fair. I mean, I think the people thought there was a chance, but I think no Glenn pun into was, there either still the favorite was at that. Favor. Yeah, yeah. I think people still thought Glenn Close was the favorite uh, <laughs> going into that night. But anyway, <laughs> we
1: gotta get out uh, of this fun.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm digging a hole even deeper. But Scott, what do you think about these performances from two people I know that you are big fans of?
1: I'm certainly a a bigger fan of Amy Adams, but I've loved Glenn Close since, I mean, I didn't, it didn't really register to to me who Glenn Close was when I was younger until like damages or something like that. When I mean, I I loved pretty much everything about damages when I saw that show with Rose Byrne and and Glenn Close. But look, I I think that this performance is really good. And I hate to bring up another movie that I think is, you know, one of the greatest of the last decade when talking about Hillbilly Elegy, but it, it really did feel like one of these sort of like character, you know, Ter- real life turned character performances that you might have seen in I, Tanya, for example like i i think like you know your facial reaction there was <laughs> was very visceral um th- look i don't think it's like mark or Robbie level from I, Tanya. don't get me wrong i don't think that ultimately this is this is on that level but I, I i especially when they're showing like the end credits with like the real the real life footage of these people like look like glenn close nail- nails the performance in my opinion i think it's really good i think it's editing it is easily the most emotional you know, part of the movie for what little it is able to milk out of, you know, these situations that in my opinion, probably should be like really highly emotionally charged. But um, to me, she's like the person that I think you get, uh, like I was saying in sort of the general impressions, like what this character is, the person you get the deepest with, right? Like you, you kind of really do towards the end of the film, start to understand this character a little bit more, even if she is a terrible person uh, in some, in some respects. And for that reason, I think, it's you're able to explore that character a step above some of these other characters, ironically, even the lead character. Um, But, and then I think the performance matches. it. I think the performance really is really striking. Is it an Oscar baby performance? Sure. Is this the performance that should win her an Oscar? No, it shouldn't. Um, But I do think the performance is really good. To me, it, it was the standout performance in the cast for several different reasons, which I could go more deeper to, but it seems like you disagree with me. Um, but it was, rem- again, it was just reminiscent of those types of performances where you have these real life stories and you have these people who are, you know, makeup, clothes, like costume, et cetera, that are made to look really like them and deliver some performance. And, and that's what I got out of this performance from Glenn Close.
0: I mean, the problem is I just, I feel like LaVonna Harding was a real person. Like I felt like LaVonna Harding was a real person after watching Alice and uh, performance. I didn't necessarily feel that, but I'll, I'll use a phrase, which I have used before about this performance, Scott. I think this is a hair and makeup job. Like I honestly do. I think. Yeah, I I I totally
1: disagree. This feels like a real person to me just because it's not a palatable person. I think it's a pretty real person. Yeah. Well, it's not the fact that she's not palatable. It's the fact that she is a recycled,
0: sassy grandma from every single movie that has portrayed this type of character in the last hundred years. Like, I'm sorry, but there was there were no layers to this. I mean, again, this pro- this is mostly the problem that is on the page. Like, I think Glenn Close, sure, yeah. she gives it all the vigor that she can, whatsoever. But like, that can't overcome, you know, again, that this is this character is a, is a stereotype, and maybe that is what this person was like in real life. But I don't know that. And when I'm watching the movie, all I see is a character that I've seen a hundred times before. And yeah, maybe it's done a little bit better than it's been done before because it's Glenn Close, but. Again, I don't take anything away from this character. At the end of the the movie, I don't feel like I understand this character any better as a person than I do any of these other sassy grandmas. Again, like we, we there are way too many scenes of her shouting expletives at people and walking up to kids on the stoop and like just putting them in their place for just so that we can get a cheap laugh. Well, um, I think and, I think not real- enough. Like uh, you know, one on one like emotional scenes in which we actually try to understand where this person is coming.
1: from. I think, look, I think you start to get those scenes. That's what I'm saying towards the end of the movie. I think you start to get those scenes. Is it too little too late? I certainly agree. I think the problem is, and I think this is true for almost every aspect of the story is that the way that this story is constructed in in terms of a film that runs in less than two hours, like there is not enough time to live with the characters in a way that the story wants you to live with them, right? This story like wants you to sort of experience like three generations of people across like 15 years of time and like you just can't do that like you just can't do that in in two hours In the way the film constructs it and it really it really is disappointing narratively with like character development stuff with that and and to the point where you basically just get to explore one character which is this character in my opinion and only at the like the last 20 30 minutes of the movie and so i think that's really difficult but look i think the performance is still really good
0: all right. Well, let's talk about Amy Adams, then, uh, who is the other big performance here. Um, Scott, what do you think about, you know, one of your favorite actresses, if not your favorite actress, um, as yep. the the mother in this movie?
1: Look, I'll say I'll say this much. I think that Amy Adams, first off, needs to fire her agent. Um, I think that she needs to fi- fire her agent and start getting in some different movies because the last few movies that she's done, albeit, I mean, I guess she did. Te- did she get nominated for Vice? I don't actually don't think she ended up getting nominated that year for the Oscar, but, um, that yeah, could I'm not be right. sure that could be, right. she may have,
0: She did get nominated for arrival, which is probably her best performance. But anyway. Sure.
1: I mean, yeah. You, I mean, you know how I feel about arrival, one of my favorite movies of all time, but look, I think that was it with between what, like three or four of her last, like five or six movies are like the DCEU films, you know, justice. So justice league and Batman versus Superman, vice and hillbilly elegy and i think the only two other ones in there in that run are you know again two of her best performances ever in nocturnal animals and um arrival so look really really strong performances in there but like two out of six like not good enough from your age like getting you in, into projects that are like really good i i mean it's really disappointing because i i think that she's trying here i i kind of i kind of see your point about the overacting although i don't think that's lazy i think she's like just trying to get whatever she can out of this script that particularly for Bev, like it, it, it really mistreats this character. I think, I don't think you like this character should be the most emotionally ravaging, I think of the characters in the movie. And you kind of just feel nothing about it. Like she just feels like this, like hopeless case that, it, that you don't even really care about. Cause you don't actually get to live with her in, in the movie. And it's really disappointing because I think Amy Adams, you know, whether it's her, um, you know, wh- whether it's the way she, she has this sort of like folksy Southern charm from something like Sharp Objects or something like that. Like she's like that character. She plays a really, you know, a, a really endearing sort of self-harming character that you can't help, but get really invested in and engaged in over the course of the series. Um, and it has that charm, right? Like in some ways there's a lot of similarities. Like that person is, you know, that character in Sharp Objects is, is an alcoholic. This person's a drug addict. Like there, there's a lot of similarities that, that she should be able to draw on. And I think that's why she, Tries and and does try to draw on that and and get something more out of this character of Beth, who's maybe a little bit more explosive than the character in Sharp Objects, certainly. But you don't you don't really understand why this character is the way she is. Like you don't really understand why she's so angry all the time. Like, you get like one flashback scene, made, and like it doesn't even really fully understand why she's the way that she is. Like, do I believe that this character in real life is this way? Sure, but like I just don't understand. I just don't get why. In the story, like what they were trying to do with it, because it just doesn't work like whatever they're trying to do, whether it's make you feel something for this character. They they don't do it. They don't do it like this character should be someone that you really feel for. I think like this person who, if you believe the words on the page has been, you know, really mistreated a lot of her life. She's gone, you know, from bounced from relationship, relationship and job to job all for the sake of, you know, these kids that, you know, she got pregnant when she was in eight. She was 18. Um, she's been, you know, mixed up with a lot of like, it seems like not so great, you know, men in her life and she screws and she got into, you know, this, you know, vicious cycle of drug addiction that's created by the opioid crisis, which I assume is where the book goes into that and maybe makes you explore that a little bit more deeply. I can't speak to that personally because I haven't read the book, like I mentioned before, but (laughs) look, you just don't get any of that. You don't get any of the emotion that should be drawn out of those situations and you don't get to experience Bev. Uh, Honest to God, I'd much rather have spent two hours with Bev than, than, um, Than with JD. I mean, J- JD is just it doesn't end up working for me at all. I'd rather have spent that time with Bev and understanding that character more. And again, having the son there to relate back to, but I'd rather have anchored around Bev narratively. I think that there's a lot richer, a lot richer, uh, a lot richer um, material there that potentially. I guess I don't actually know. I suppose, but that's for me. It was really disappointing, not in the performance, but just how badly um, this, uh, this 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 the script this film treats. Uh, Amy Adams' character, because I think ultimately she's not able to do anything with it. I also forgot to mention, Woman in the Window is a movie that she's done over the past few years, but is that even a movie? No one even knows. Will will we ever see
0: that movie? I don't know. She's in Dear Uh,
1: Evan Hansen. She's the mom in Dear Evan Hansen coming up, so maybe that'll be good.
0: uh, We should say, because no one should get off scot-free from this, that Vanessa Taylor, Oscar-nominated screenwriter, is who who penned the screenplay for Hillbilly Elegy. Uh, But yeah, Scott, as far as this character goes, like, like you said it is stripped of any context right and like yeah. it is stripped of any context about why this person is the way that she is why she's in the situation that she is other than like her mother let her basically I, I think is kind of like the you know the one uh explanation maybe that we get but that is such like a wrong-headed viewpoint to take of a person in this situation right like that because ultimately like you said we just come away thinking oh wow this is kind of a terrible person who's abusive to you know her family who you know can't kick this habit doesn't really have any doesn't really put any effort to hit, to kick this habit um and yeah it is just kind of a, a toxic individual and that's not the view view that we or that society should be taking of someone uh who is in this situation um And by taking away any context about the opioid crisis or, you know, family abuse, whatever, you know, slightly controversial themes that Ron Howard didn't want to explore in this movie, um, we're left with. Yeah, yeah. We're left with a character that, um, you know, comes off completely differently than she should. Uh, Look, as far as Amy Adams goes, I think she's doing her Hubie Halloween tour right now. right? Like She didn't get nominated for Arrival, and now I think she's doing the Adam Sandler thing of, like, I'm just going to go make the worst movies that I can. And So she's done Vice, and now she's done this. Hopefully things will uh, will turn back in the other w- direction with Dear Evan Hansen, like you said. Uh, Look, or maybe all I'll even say is
1: that if the the Adam movie. Sandler's goal is to make the worst movie ever with Hubie Halloween, I think he was a long measure off based off some of the other movies that he's made in his life.
0: <laughs> yeah, no. I, I don't think that uh, it did end up being his worst movie is my understanding either. But in concept, that was what he uh, yeah, that was said, a joke that, said he that he was going to do. And I think Amy Adams yeah. is the person this I guess this is my point. She's the one who's actually doing it right. Like she didn't get nominated for Arrival, her best performance. And now she's she's going on the Hubie Halloween tour. But yeah, Scott, for me, like she shouts 90 percent of her lines um, in this movie. Which again, maybe the script was written in all caps. I don't know, but like that's that's not a way to convince me that there's anything more to the, this character than a you know crazy um, abusive you know bad, terrible person, really. Um, and yeah, it's it it, just, it feels like the safest portrayal that you could possibly give to this person. At every turn, I mean, the, the roller skating scene. Do we want to talk about that? Oh god, that was awful where she roller skates down the uh, the hallway of the hospital and that's how she ends up losing her job. That was one of the cringiest things that I've seen in quite a while. Um, and I do think that her performance contributed to that, sadly. So um, look, I, uh, script doesn't do her any favors, I'm sure, but uh, this is not one that she'll want to have in her top four on IMDb. I think she'll want to sign up for IMDb Pro so that she can make sure that this and Vice aren't in her top four on IMDb. Um, because eesh, uh, not a great performance. I, you know, I, I hate to go this far, but I do wonder if this could get Razzie consideration because this does seem like the type of performance um, in the past that has provoked the ire of, of the Razzie nominating committee, whoever they may be. Uh, and as others have pointed out, it would be quite a shame if Amy Adams gets a Razzie before she gets an Oscar. Um, Hopefully, that doesn't happen. Hopefully, they look and see that, hey, there are even worse movies than this this year. Um, But performance-wise, yeah, this is probably the weakest performance I've ever seen her in, for sure.
1: Yeah. Would it surprise me if it gets nominated for Razzie? Probably not. But the Razzie is, like, look, I I think that they're funny a lot of times, but they – they serve no purpose yeah well yeah sure they serve no purpose and they just bring negative energy but also they they also just nominate like every person in every in like just a bad movie regardless whether the performances are bad or not so if they just latch onto a movie and nominate it for like worst picture every person in the cast is going to get nominated for for it too like glenn close will probably get nominated too just for the hell of it like right like um that's always how i feel it feels really lazy in terms of the nominations they do but look they have a successful award show so who am i to say
0: I should say that I think that Lindsay, who's the sister played by Haley Bennett, that was the only performance to me, which I was even slightly interested in who the character was at all. That's um, fair.
1: Yeah. I liked, I liked Haley Bennett in this, in this movie, but she's really not in it that much.
0: That, I mean, that, of course, that why you like is her more. one of the many issues. Yeah, maybe so, but she was the only character who I didn't feel like was either like manufacturing emotion or just shouting the entire time they were on screen. Um, and so, good on her for that, I guess, for resisting the urge to act like everyone else. Um, yeah, and look,
1: she wasn't like killed off in five minutes like she was in Hillbilly Elegy or whatever. She was like Charlotte in Hillbilly Elegy, one of the people that gets uh, I like, think I think it's the Pat like the Henry Melling character. I think that's the person he murders or something like that.
0: In oh, in The Devil All the Time. You mean you said Hillbilly Elegy? But
1: oh, sorry, I meant Devil All the Time. Yeah. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. No, no, you're right. She yeah, she's been in other. She was in Girl on the Train too. We don't need to relive her bad filmography as well because that movie is horrendous but um scott is there anything else worth talking about with the plot in this movie to be honest with you i know you've said that you don't really like necessarily that it tries to tie everything up sort of neatly in the last save say no no
1: look i think it's fine to tie things up but like it it doesn't it doesn't deliver any threads to h- hang on to until the final thirty minutes. And there's nothing wrong with tying things up. It, it's just wrong if you then like show the strings and tie it together all in the same motion. It seems like, right? Like there's it, it's weird to say that it tied up the film in the last thirty minutes because it, it really just felt like it it, it yeah. showed you it, it put together it's like two piece jigsaw puzzle in the last thirty minutes.
0: Yeah, and honestly, you know, you're talking about how you know you come away with thinking that. Hey, you know, maybe the, the, the point, is, the moral of the story is like maybe the best thing to do sometimes is to leave these people behind. Best thing you can do for yourself, whatever.
1: Well, um, no, 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 not leave people, not leave the people behind, but to not forget about yourself too. To, to, to Sometimes it's okay yeah. to be selfish to some extent because it doesn't leave them behind. Like he talks about like, I'll be here for you in whatever way I can, but I can't sacrifice like, my
0: Obviously right. Like the, at the end of the, in the, credits we learn that you know the mom just been she's sober alive for six years so.
1: how's she even alive honestly yeah Jesus. Uh, so
0: they're you know they're probably still they probably still have interaction what what definitely you know, yeah whatnot but um yeah. but yeah like you know you're talking about that i don't know i just i didn't really get that like i'm sure that that was what they intended but there's like one scene in the car with glenn close where she's like what is like the super cliche thing that is said a couple of times and he repeats it in his voiceover at the end. Oh gosh, I wish I could remember what the, line well, the whole,
1: the her deal is that she, she wanted to raise him so that he could take care of the family, which I mean, it's all about family, right. For her, it's like this idea that like someone needs to be the caretaker for the family and it's not going to be Bev. So she needs to make sure that someone can do that. And he was the best candidate for that. That's why she took him out of, um, you know, the, the, the home and, and, you know, kicked his friends out basically and
0: yeah and, that, and he yeah. has this whole thing about how like at the very end he's like he's i'm so thankful to mama whatsoever but like we get like five ten minutes of like yeah the time when he yeah, is really actually good. living with her on on her own and we're supposed to believe yeah, that, but he got know, the best
1: grade in the class in his algebra two test. so
0: <laughs> true i i totally forgot about that he's a changed
1: um, man and yeah he took the uh he it's be, it's
0: all because of that calculator that he stole, which, yeah, by the, by the way, that, that there's another issue, they should have explored. Why do they require these kids at probably what is a poor school to buy an $84 TI, whatever calculator that he was having to buy. But anyway, um, again, another issue left unexplored, but, uh, but yeah, but like, I don't, I didn't feel any sort of emotional connection in their relationship. Um, for me to relate to what he's saying at the end about like, oh, Yo, mama, you know, really she rushed. saved, my, she saved yeah. my life whatsoever. I'm like, no, like, I think you saved your life by getting the heck out of Dodge and going to Yale and
1: Look, here, finding thing. Frida the, Pinto. It, yeah, exactly. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. In the last half hour, there's like a lot of really emotional moments. Like there really are like that should be really emotional, should be really yeah. emotional moments. But they it feels so sudden, so rushed that it feels like, wait, was I supposed to? Like, this was a really important scene, but I didn't feel it at all. Like, like there's this, there's the scene in the car that you're talking about, the calculator, which is kind of like, again, it's kind of the start of this turning point for his character. Then there's the, there's the scene like right after that, where she's getting, she being Mama is getting like these meal, the meal on wheels uh, delivery. And, you know, it's like the first time that it really shows you how poor these people are. Like It's certainly implied over the course of the movie. Don't get me wrong but it's the first scene where you really understand that these people are in a lot of trouble. Um, And that is, that is also played as like the second turning point where it's like, all right, no, this, he was starting to get it before and he really gets it now. Like his, his grandmother is, is like trying so hard to take care of this family. The only way she can figure out how to, and he needs to like, stop being the worst, like the literal worst, like getting a like almost getting arrested, et cetera, et cetera. But again, like, it it almost breezes right over these scenes like you don't have any time to to sit with it and digest it um and it rushes off again cuz it's like there's like 20 minutes left in the movie so there's like hardly any time to to do anything with it and and these scenes like again on like should be powerful there's and this the climactic moment where he's talking about or like with this scene where mama's talking about like i need you to take care of this family or like i need someone to take care of this family cuz when i'm gone who's going to right and you understand like why she does what she like everything she does and why she is the way she is to some extent not not fully but to some extent and then later on you have this scene with him it's like you know what i'm going to take care of you but i can't do it to the point where i sacrifice my life for yours like again emotional moment but like you just don't get it cuz it feels like it's you're breezing past it which is really disappointing cuz i think especially the latter one about choosing not to like just completely be you know self-sacrificial and and all this type of like you know skipping an interview or whatever it might be like I think that's a I think that's really important. Like I think it's a really important message to show that it's okay to like you know also think about yourself in these types of situations that can be really self destructive.
0: And but that's y- why Koganada made a film about it called Columbus.
1: <laughs> sure. Yeah. Sure. Why not? Yeah. Exactly. Um. But but you just don't get the impact yeah. of those of those big narrative points that I can only assume were like supposed to be really impactful.
0: And Gabriel Basso is certainly no Haley Lou Richardson either. So um yeah yeah i i don't know that i have anything else to say scott I think
1: and ron howard honestly he's not koganata
0: <laughs> ron uh, look ron howard he is at fault like maybe more than anyone for this movie but um he's still a fine director right like he's made some really good films sure
1: um, but not in the last decade
0: what well he made rush that's a fantastic film but um, okay
1: that's right. i haven't seen rush that's the race car movie right yeah
0: yeah like with chris hemsworth formula bigger, one though. um yeah. yeah, that's a really good movie, but um
1: not an emotional. Yeah, again, is that an emotional movie though? Is that like a big emotional? Oh, it in, is? in, I, I'm not, in I some places it. I haven't seen. It. I don't yeah. know. Indiana. I mean,
0: and and yeah. Well, look, you have to go back a little bit further, but Cinderella Man to me is an absolutely great movie. Um, yeah, yes, very emotional. Was that was '05, but
1: yeah. Anyway, he's made good movies, right? But that's Paul is a really. Good I movie. think
0: that he was a bad match for this material, as I said, because I think. Ron Howard is never the person who is going to make an edgy film. And this needed to be an edgier film. It needed to like, you know, try to t- tug at people. Well, what am I trying to say? Push their buttons. Um, like the novel so clearly did, or like yeah. the book. It's not a novel, but the the memoir so clearly did. Um, and that's just not the film we got, but all right, Scott, we can move into wrap up now. Uh, what's your favorite or moment from Hillbilly Elegy?
1: I mean, look, I, I, I don't, really have a favorite scene or moment in like a meaningful way outside of but like look uh, the moment in the hotel where he's choosing to drive back to New Haven rather than just being somewhat self-destructive and just sitting there with his mom for no other reason than to just hold her hand and prevent her from going back into the bathroom and Odin or whatever like i like that because it made me again it made me think cuz that is a theme i i really like those themes in movies i really like this idea that like you don't have to sacrifice everything. It's more, it's like your life is more complicated than like choosing one thing or the other. It's balancing the two. Right. And this, this film doesn't show you balancing the two at all. Um, To be fair. It, I mean, it shows him struggling about how, how to balance it, but never really shows you the balance just kind of leaves you at the end. But I guess if I had point to point you something like, I like that because I, I like thinking about those types of things and, and those situations are never black and white. It doesn't, doesn't do it justice in this film, but it made me think about that. So I'll shut that out.
0: Yeah, I'm struggling really hard here to think of uh, something there. There was a uh, scene where he goes to the football card store and <laughs> yeah. on the wall in the store, there was a picture of Peyton Manning playing for Tennessee. Um, so that was my favorite moment of the movie uh, because Woof. God bless Peyton Manning. Um, all right, let's put a score on it. Scott, what do you give him uh 4.8. Yeah, for me, this is one of the worst movies I've seen this year. Um, yeah, there's nothing much else to say. 2.7 for me, did not did not like it at all. All right, Scott, that should do it for our discussion of Hillbilly Elegy. When we come back, we're going to do an updated sort of primer for the Oscars, take a look at uh, where things are at in the major races uh, and see if anything has changed um, in the last few weeks or if we see anything changing going forward uh, as we look forward to a strange, uh, but still happening for now, Academy Awards, uh, coming in a few months. Uh, so stick with us, we'll be right back. Welcome back to this episode of Some Like It Scott. Uh, Scott, we are, I guess, four months or so from the Oscars now. They're going to be in March, or is it April now? I, I forget how, how far they've been pushed back. It is okay. April, right. Um, so we have a few months to go here before the Oscars. Uh, obviously, as we know, things change often in an Oscar race. It's going to be interesting uh, to see how things change in this extended period this year when, look, the last like Oscar contender movies like are going to be coming out and February I guess like I I don't I don't really know like beyond that I feel like there's going to be like a month or so of downtime where we're not really getting any Oscar contender movies before the awards ceremony happens which is not something that like usually happens like last year for example you know we had um 1917 which we saw just a few weeks uh, you know two or two weeks or so before. before the it was okay well yeah. Either way, I think the the releases are going to start thinning out. Like I know Nomad Land is going to be February now. Is that right?
1: Yeah. the The wide release I think is February. Nine Days mm-hmm. is in. Fe- I don't know if Nine Days will actually be an awards contender, but that's going to be in February. But it's certainly angling probably to be an awards movie. Um, yeah. Uh,
0: but still, I think it is worth having uh, conversations at this point about um, you know what is going to get in there in this strange year, because you know there are opportunities potentially for films that. Would not otherwise be in the running. Maybe not as much in the Best Picture category. I don't know. Maybe more so in the acting categories. But um, maybe talking talking about Best Picture, Scott. I think uh-huh. um, you know the moment or the, the moment the movie that I just mentioned, *Nomadland*, um, is still a front runner at this point. Uh, this movie has been raved about by everyone who's seen it. Uh, you have an up and coming female director in Chloe Zhao. You have a multiple Oscar winning actress in Francis McDormand anchoring this thing. Uh, it feels like this is a front runner. Um,
1: it's for, searchlight too.
0: Yes, yes, who, you know, targets Best Picture with like their, their late year releases. Um, and so you have that. Now now, you know, again, Chloe Zhao, she is up and coming, but not as well known of a name as let's say David Fincher, right? Who also has one of the top contenders with Mank. Um, which we're going to be reviewing next week. So yep. um, so it, obviously, you know, that movie has a lot going for it. It is black and white. It is about um, the creation of one of the most famous movies of all time, Citizen Kane. We know Academy of Voters love movies about Hollywood. You know, Argo being a recent example of a movie that won Best Picture was about the process of making or at least pretending to make a movie. Um and the artist was also uh, black and white. Black and white. Best Picture winner. I mean, you know, they're both about sort of Hollywood, but um, to some extent. Uh, so you, you know that um, the Oscars love these movies. Obviously, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood was nominated for a lot of things last year. It didn't. It only won for Best Supporting Actor, and I think won a production design or something like that. But um, but you know, Oscar voters love movies about themselves and their industry. Birdman, again, now now that is a better movie, that's a more um, off-kilter movie, but it's a movie about actors and criticism and stuff like that. So um, I think Oscar voters do tend to gravitate towards these types of films. And I think Mank, which look, I'm expecting it to be a very good film. Um, It is David Fincher, but um, you you can't discount the factor of the subject matter, that the subject matter alone will have in you know, thrusting this into the Oscar race. Trial of the Chicago Seven is a movie that we've talked about, Scott, um, that I think will still get a nomination, maybe isn't like top of the list um, to win, Uh, but, uh, you know, true life story feels relevant maybe to some people um, in 2020 with a subject matter, big ensemble cast, you know, theatrical courtroom scenes, things like that. it feels like uh, a movie that is probably going to be um, in the Oscar race uh, in the best picture race. Um, and Aaron Sorkin, you know, is is someone who nowadays is kind of a surefire bet since the social network. Um,
1: for screenwriting.
0: Get... Yeah. Yeah. True. I mean, look, he's only directed two movies. He didn't get nominated for, um, for directing Molly's game, obviously, but. But yeah. And then, you know, there, there's a lot after that, it's kind of like a mixed bag, Scott, right? Like you have movies like one night in Miami, right? Which you certainly would think with it's ensemble with the Academy, hopefully trying to think about uh, getting more diverse nominees. They'll look at something like that, which has, you know, basically an all black cast. Um,
1: I think Minari is up there as a surefire bet, right? For a best picture nominee.
0: Yeah. I mean, look, I was going to mention Minari. I, it, it, uh, yeah, I mean, I guess Parasite, you know, did sort of break the glass ceiling to some extent in Ant-Roma, you know, the year before, but uh, for like foreign films, getting a Best Picture nomination. Uh, obviously, this movie is mostly in foreign language. Um, it's by a Korean director. It is about Korean, Koreans experience, albeit in America, right? It is about them immigrating to America. So it is an American
1: story. Um, right, which is actually why answer. I think that in on paper it have an even better chance than Paris. Yeah. I mean, Paris like one and I don't I mean, I have no idea what's gonna win the Oscar in April, but it seems like on paper it might even be a more, you know, I I don't want to say Beatty, because I haven't seen the movie. You've seen the movie, I haven't seen the movie, but um it certainly on paper feels more accessible and more and maybe more even engaging in some way to at least some portion of the academy.
0: Yeah, no, that that's a good point. I do think that thread is something which, you know. They will be able to connect with potentially. Again, here's another. Here's a much better film about life in rural America than "Hillbilly Elegy" is. "Minari." Um, I, when did, when did we determine this was getting a uh, wide release? Is that it's January or February? Too. I think it's February. Um uh, It's one of the two. Yeah, I know. I, I, I sent you that post on Instagram, but I can't remember what the actual date was. But um, but yeah, you know, I, I think that uh, "Minari" again eight a twenty four um, has a good track record now. They've won Best Picture, obviously. I think Only uh, th- this will probably be the movie that they're pushing for Best Picture this year. I mean, they're not going to be having released that many films. I guess On the Rocks, right, is an A24. Um, yeah, but and I, think that would, I think that would technically
1: fall. On, yeah, 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 the Apple TV part makes it a little confusing. Right. I guess but A24 that, that, would have producer credits on it too. Yeah,
0: sure. But that's another movie that has a chance for Best Picture nomination right, with Sophia Coppola, again, Academy Award-winning director. Yeah.
1: First Cal um, you know. would be the other one for A24.
0: Yeah, for, First Cal, but um, that's coming from a name, yes, that is well-known in the indie world, and Kelly Reichert, um, but sort of a no-name cast. Um, Minari at least has, you know, Stephen Yoon, who's a familiar face, Will Patton in the supporting cast, um, you know, a few people that you might recognize. Um, so... Yeah, they could both sneak in there and that'd be cool. But I think I'm leaning more towards Minari from the A24 crop um, to get the nomination um, here. And then, you know, there's some movies which we haven't seen yet. Right, Scott? Like uh, News News of the World, this Paul Greengrass movie that is coming out with Tom Hanks. um, And uh, there's Pieces of a Woman, which Netflix is putting out with Vanessa Kirby. um, Surely
1: not for Best Picture, though. From what I've read. Yeah,
0: I, I don't know. It, it does have middling reviews, um, but I, it's a weird year. Right? Like again, another movie like that I is think I,
1: Black Bottom from Netflix would have a much bigger push for, yeah, for that category er, than of a woman.
0: Certainly that's a good shot from Netflix, but you know, Netflix right in this particular year, you know, they're going to be aiming to get multiple movies. Now. I mean, in trial of the Chicago seven Mank,
1: those are Netflix. They, they will. I mean, they'll definitely, yeah. I mean, I don't know. I don't know about trial of the Chicago seven. I have, I'd, I'm not sure how, the Oscar voters will react to that um, for reasons that we talked about on on the podcast. I think that it'll probably it'll it'll definitely get some nominations. Not sh- not sure about Best Picture, but um, like Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. I mean, that feels like I haven't seen the film yet, but with Chadwick Boseman's passing, it feels like that's a real bump. And honestly, it's it's Netflix's better play at you know the not. The, I mean, I think that they try to spread out their their contenders and being different genres, but I think that's its like main play for from like a diverse casting perspective, I think for obvious reasons. And then Chadwick Boseman, of course, and, and Viola Davis seem like really strong performances from what I've read. seems like a, a good contender.
0: Yeah. And talking about performances, Scott, best actor and best actress, um, to talk about those for a moment. Yeah. Um, yeah, Chadwick Boseman. Are they? They are campaigning for him in the Best Actor category,
1: right? Oh God, um, we've had this conversation, haven't we? No, I think it's actually. I think they're actually. I think they're. I think he's a supporting actor technically.
0: And then Viola Davis is lead actress. Okay, yeah, maybe that, that would make. But
1: um, Every, everyone from Chicago Seven is in the supporting role, so I don't even know. Yeah. Um,
0: Scott, I saw a performance just yesterday, actually, for Best that I I am very much rooting for to win best actor based on what I've seen so far this year, because it's the best performance by an actor or actors that I've seen this year. Um, and a movie my boy, like a,
1: My boy Riz, isn't it?
0: Yeah. A, a, a performance that I think I could definitely see the performance getting recognized. I'm not so sure about the movie, even though I think the movie is really interesting and one of the best movies I've seen this year, but sound of metal and Riz Ahmed. Um, yeah. Being the, the actor that I'm talking about here. I think I at this moment I lean towards expecting him to get a nomination for best actor. Um I can't imagine anyone who watches this movie not being utterly captivated by his work here. It's just a matter of who's going to watch the movie, right? Uh, I think that is um you know maybe the one concern with Sound of Metal. And that's the thing it,
1: about 20- it's an Amazon movie, right? So it's like it honestly is, yeah. it doesn't it doesn't they don't push their movies that hard.
0: And they have one night in Miami, which you would expect them to push harder this year. But um, I think that it's an amazing performance. And and this is the type of movie which I could see like this, this is a movie that might actually get more attention because of 2020, right? Whereas I think if in a normal year, this movie would probably fall in, in between the cracks. Like, yeah, people would probably still be talking about Riz Ahmed's performance for sure. But like, no one would really be thinking about this movie in any other context besides you know his performance, and hey, his performance would probably even be a long shot to get a nomination in a normal year. Um, but I think because of 2020, because you know of,
1: um... but like what Oscar contenders, like big studio Oscar contenders, like are not going to actually be pushed for Oscars this year? Like which ones are not getting are not coming out this year?
0: I mean, do we know?
1: I mean, that's fair. We d- we don't know, but I'm curious. Like ultimately, A24, Netflix, they're all releasing their biggest. Their biggest searchlight. They're all releasing the like the movies they would push for Oscars.
0: Yeah, m- maybe I, I I still feel like there are probably a lot of movies that maybe we didn't even know about that were coming out in twenty twenty. Yeah, maybe I mean, we that, haven't heard so about fair. them getting pushed. Things but like I'm that. I'm just looking like, at
1: the festivals. But like the at the festivals, those movies are all coming out. Like Promising Young Woman, Minari, yeah. etc.
0: Look, that's and and that that's a fair point. Um, I don't know. I still feel like Sound of Metal is a movie that would be getting lost in the mix in a different year. Um,
1: yeah, I, I think that's it, a honestly. I think that's a function of of its of its of its of its Amazon home base. I don't like. Have they even had a Best Picture nominee? Big Sick didn't get nominated, right?
0: No, it got like
1: screenplay, but um, yeah.
0: Yeah, no, they they, they
1: probably have. I'm just, I'm just forgetting something obvious. That
0: that may be true too. I, I just think the nature of the movie also is one that, um, I could see pushing pushing some people away because of just the subject matter of the movie. uh, Oh, um,
1: yeah, dark, true. But, um, okay. Also, I, I, so I I researched this a little bit. It it seems like I'm on Variety's website. It seems like Chadwick Boseman and Delroy Lindo are both mm -hmm. being campaigned for in the lead actor category. Okay.
0: Yeah. Well, Delroy Lindo was definitely the name that I was going to mention. Next uh from *The Five Bloods, another movie which like you know, when it came out, we were like, Oh, best picture nomination, obviously. Well, I don't know about that anymore.
1: Not right? after we watched like, it, but yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah, well, I the movie is average, although you know it's worth pointing out that most critics were very positive about it. But um that's true. I I think that um I just don't know about this movie. Like I don't I don't feel like anyone is talking about this movie anymore. Like they they were for a week or so after it came out, but um, you know, and maybe it's because we have more important things to talk about in 2020. I, I totally understand that. But in terms of the movies that I'm seeing getting talked about, um, you know, consistently, I just feel like Five Bloods has kind of gotten lost in the mix. However, I don't think that Delroy Lindo has gotten lost in the mix, right? Like, I think this is a lock for best, a best actor nomination. Um, uh, maybe even the favorite, um, right now, although you Chadwick Boseman, if he is going to be a best yeah. actor then. Um, I think he'd be the favorite, yeah. The posthumous quality obviously would contribute to that as well. Um, You know, we've seen – there have been many – multiple actors who have won Oscars posthumously, most most recently being Heath Ledger, of course. Um,
1: Yeah. We've mentioned Gary Oldman a little bit earlier. We we mentioned Stephen Yeun. I think these are all people who are definitely contenders. Uh, The one person that you haven't mentioned uh, in a movie that we haven't talked about at all in this, because neither maybe because neither of us have seen it, but is The Father – uh, with Anthony Anthony, Anthony oh, Hopkins, yeah, uh, a movie that might be in line for a Best Picture nominee as well. Maybe we're not sure. That's from Sony. Um, I, I don't know if they made the movie, but they certainly are distributing it. Um But Anthony Hopkins, per, like it seems like perennially is nominated for something that's usually an average movie, but um, two posts really, really slash really year right. average movie, super interesting movie, good performance, got a nomination. Was he nominated for that, or
0: was it just Jonathan Price?
1: Maybe it was just Jonathan Price. Okay, but yeah, but he the, certainly the was point in the is the movie. Yeah.
0: yeah, um, the movie was up there as well. But best actress wise, Scott, I think there's a lot of strong contenders. I mean, Vanessa Kirby seems to be uh, somewhat of a, you know, front runner. Maybe again, Frances McDormand when she's in a movie like no Lane, you can never count her out, even though she's won two Oscars before. Viola Davis again, a powerhouse actresses, um, who like every time they do a movie practically, you could see them winning the Oscar. So um, I think Vanessa Kirby is going to have some stiff competition. Um, you know, a, a movie that I was uh, forgot to mention earlier, but is another movie that kind of like got lukewarm critical repu- uh, reception, but, you know, could maybe still sneak into best picture nomination. Uh, Ammonite, the Francis Lee film with uh, Sir Ronan and Kate Winslet, maybe a better, con- maybe a better contender for, Best actress, yeah. I i don't know, that's a good question because I haven't seen the film yet. I want to say that maybe saoirse is the lead actress, but um,
1: either okay, way, again, variety of saying Kate Winslet would be the lead okay. actress, okay. Um, that so that's an option,
0: out, you know, Carrie Mulligan, potentially promising yeah, young maybe. woman, um. Jesse Buckley maybe has an outside shot for, I'm thinking of ending things. I think if, if I'm thinking of ending things, is going to get nominated for anything. Um, then
1: it's going to be screen. Probably
0: maybe screenplay, maybe best actress. I think is, is Variety's list has
1: Jesse Buckley at 25, uh, on the, on the really? best actress list. Oh, okay. Terms well, of-
0: maybe that was my Gotham awards bias. I don't know, but Elizabeth Moss obviously has two roles you could pick from right with invisible man. And Shirley. um, both coming out this year, a film that I'm a huge fan of, and especially this performance is another one of my favorites of the year, Julia Garner and the assistant. Um, I'm not sure. I, I feel like her odds may be close to what Jesse Buckley's are, but um, oh, a little better, maybe slightly better. Uh, I, w- I would hope better. Cause I think she's really, really good in that film. Um, but yeah, again, it, it feels like the best actress category is going to be, is like the more loaded, I, I don't know, like, how far down the list is, like, Anya Taylor-Joy for Emma? Or, I mean, Carrie Coon, I saw The Nest. She's 16.
1: Anya taylor is 16. And for
0: Anya's 16? Okay, yeah. And then, Carrie Coon, like, where, where, what's she at? Like, I know some 11. people have... Okay. Yeah, I know I know she has a decent
1: chance as well. Zendaya, um, so, Zendaya, when this show, this movie that we don't actually, I don't think it actually has a release date yet, but Malcolm, Malcolm and Marie, Marie, which is supposed to, yeah. out, supposed to come out, I think it's supposed to come out before the deadline um, for submissions, but Zendaya is trending... On this list at like seven in terms of chance. I think I think nobody's seen this movie though. So we don't actually know for sure. But um that's the movie that was shot during quarantine. It was Sam Levinson directing with John David Washington as the co-lead there. But uh the, it has some hype around it, at least for those in the air performance, probably probably not least of which because of that that surprise Emmy win that she had for Euphoria. I think that's probably helping her helping our chances. But also Michelle Pfeiffer, The French Exit. Like I know that's a movie that feels like kind of like destroyer from a couple of years ago for Nicole Kidman, just like is a fine, good movie. I didn't. see Karen Kuzama,
0: though, great director. Who directed. This sure, movie. I want to
1: see. It. It's actually been on my watch list forever. I really want to see that movie because seems yeah. like it might be up my Uh end. So,
0: who do they have as their top five, though, in, in best actress, just out of curiosity?
1: Yeah, uh, Vanessa, Vanessa Kirby. Kirby. Vanessa Kirby is yeah. the favorite. Then McDormand, Viola Davis, Carrie Mulligan, and Sophia Loren in *The Life Ahead*. Um, wow, I haven't heard anything
0: about that one.
1: Neither have I. But then six, and like six, is Meryl Streep in *The Prom*, which is actually getting really good reviews, surprisingly. Oh, God, yeah, that. It's getting good reviews today.
0: I'm happy for Ryan Murphy. You know, he doesn't put out that much content. So it's nice that when he does that, he gets good reviews.
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, Zendaya, Michelle Pfeiffer, Kate Winslet, and then Andra Day and the United States versus Billy Holiday, which I'm not sure that movie is, to be honest. But um, that's their top 10 look at take it with the grain. Of salt. So, it's just variety of it... predictions.
0: What is the deal with that Judas in the Black Messiah movie yeah, so or whatever it's uh, called? Daniel Kaluuya, does he have any chances there?
1: Well, he'd be – so he'd be in supporting. I, this is something right. I want to talk about before we moved on from actor because Lakeith Stanfield would be predicted to be the lead in okay. that movie. And he has like an outside shot. And Judas and the Black Messiah is uh, has an outside shot for Best Picture as well according to Variety. Again, this is all just according to Variety. I'm just reading their lists. Um, if that movie comes out well, – it doesn't have a release date. But if that movie comes out before the deadline, I think that – look, it would be one of the more uh, – one of the movies that I'm more excited to see. I love Daniel Kaluuya. I love LaKeith Stanfield. Um and to see what they the can do The trailer looked
0: awesome, yeah.
1: Absolutely. It looked, it looked very very good. Um and I don't know if it would break into that race. I think that it probably would if the movie is good, but um not 100% sure, but it, I think it would be an exciting movie to enter the race officially if it does get the if it does get a release date with the deadline before the end of February, which I think is the deadline for the Oscars.
0: Yeah, Uh, last category, just to briefly touch on Scott, Best Director, just because I think there's going to be some talk around this category this year with female nominees, um, because there's a chance, I mean, Chloe Zhao will almost certainly be nominated, and there's a chance for other female directors as well to get in there, Regina King, um, Sofia Coppola, Kelly Reichert. um,
1: I don't think Sofia Coppola will get nominated. I don't know, On the Rocks has been very meh, I think. I think Emerald Fennell would have a better (laughs) chance.
0: For promising a woman, per- perhaps uh, I mean Sophia Coppola is an Oscar winner. That's why I bring up her name. So just because, yeah,
1: I just don't I think um, like On the Rocks is going to going to be another winner for her. But I haven't seen. Yeah. I want to see it. I, it's on. It's been in my queue for a while.
0: Yeah, yeah, you, yeah, And you may be right about that. But you know, there's some other female directors that probably have a less of a shot, like Josephine Decker for Shirley or Kitty Green, the assistant. Um, yeah, yeah. The the list goes on, but. Um, but certainly I think we should expect to see um Chloe Zhao probably Regina King. Like I Maybe. would think just with those legitimate
1: chances, I think. Yeah. Just
0: with the buzz around her as an actress, I think that um yeah. you know she has a good chance. And then David Fincher obviously I think is will will most likely get nominated. Yeah. Um Judas
1: in the Black Messiah, if it comes out, Shaka King probably has a pretty good chance.
0: Yeah. Uh again, diverse representation that they wanna uh
1: Get there, so, I mean, which likely could, yeah. but I think I think interest is waning on that film. I think a classic case of it came out too early. If they wanted to have a real contender, there, I don't know how much how much money Netflix is going to put behind that one.
0: Yeah, I mean, Paul Greengrass has been nominated before. Lee Isaac Chung. We talked about Minari. Um, Sorkin. I don't. Yeah, Sorkin. I don't. I don't know who directed Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, but maybe they have a chance. Although when they, when they when people direct George stage. Wolf. Okay, when people direct stage adaptations, I feel like they don't usually get nominated for best director just because. Yeah. I don't know. The directing job is not seen as, as as impressive when you're kind of just making a filmed play, which is almost what I expect Mauraine's Black Bottom to be. And I don't say that as a critique, right? I, I am someone who, as I've said in the past, you know, that can be said as a critique that something feels stagey or too much like a play. It never bothers me when that is the case. Um, yeah. So I don't see that as a critique. But uh, yeah, Scott, I, I I don't know if beyond that, you know, it's a shame that uh, bad education isn't eligible because uh, yes. Hugh Jackman would have been a you know sure bet sure bet for best actor nomination. Corey Finley might have had a chance for you know best director or best screenplay something like that. I do think it is a really strong film. Um, but you know how I feel about it. Not eligible. Yeah.
1: Um, uh, Christopher Nolan I'll excuse you not mentioning his name in the director category for now but I'm to yeah Christopher no. Nolan I don't That's think I don't enough. think he's going to get a nomination though to be fair I don't think he's going to get it
0: but. but you know if Tenet has a chance in a, in one of the major categories probably best director right like uh, I could I
1: could yeah, see that in, in the major categories I do think that it's its best chance look it just depends on how much the uh, <laughs> the Oscar voting contingent here respects that Christopher Nolan tried to save theaters uh, that, would, uh, that honestly that is what it's going to come down to for
0: that hey patty jenkins is the one who's really saving theaters now
1: um yeah by putting her movie and on, then, and streaming on the same day <laughs> and then
0: obviously scott christopher landon is a lock for freaky i mean certainly going to get a best let me
1: see if he's on let me just see if he's on the list. no way
0: in a, in a just world yes no, but no no so who,
1: who, who, no sorry who, are, scott, who no.
0: are their top five who are their top five on variety
1: um chloe zhao david fencher regina king lia chung and chaka king Okay. If he's if, let's say if Shaka King isn't eligible because the movie doesn't come out, then Aaron Sorkin would be their next one,
0: okay? So, Lorian
1: yeah, after that for The Father
0: kind of chalk based on the movies that we talked about for Best Picture, but
1: but um, that's how the Oscars usually get on. yeah? But the yeah, chalk. that
0: that's fair, and you know, Best Director and Best Picture usually follow suit, you know, what wins one wins the other, although you know, we have certainly seen exceptions in recent years, but um. Anyway, it will be interesting to watch, Scott. You know, I've seen a good number of the movies that we talked about and, you know, plan to see the rest before the Oscars. So it's it's been a weird year, but I think
1: some time. Don't worry.
0: (laughs) Hopefully, again, we will be in a place where we've seen all of the at least seen all of the Best Picture nomination nominees win.
1: Yeah, Um, I hope so. I'll I'll certainly make it. Look, I'll I'll, if it's humanly possible for me to see the movies before the Oscars, like I'll see the movies before they before the Oscars.
0: Absolutely. Uh, I mean, I, it's just a matter of like, will they all come out in a medium that is accessible to us? I mean, I think most yeah, of them are planning it, yeah. to, but, um, Legit- and I don't necessarily they mean theaters. Legit- yeah. I they just have enough like, time. Yeah. Yeah. Jeremy. Cause I, cause like Minari and, um, what else? One night in Miami, like I've watched those, but that was because I, you know, got hooked up to yep. a virtual festival and was able to watch those. So like, will there be other movies like that, which like, Oh, well, you missed your chance to watch. Them. I don't know.
1: But, um, but, is, but isn't that streaming? I mean, I guess One Night in Miami is not streaming on Christmas Day. But it is streaming. I think it's, like, streaming in no, anyway, it, it will, it will yeah. be, and Minari we expect
0: to be as well. So um, it's probably misplaced fear. But anyway, um, yeah. I think that'll do it for this episode of Something Like It, Scott. Scott, where can our listeners find you on Twitter? At shelton2013. And I'm at Scarby Dent. We hope you've enjoyed this podcast. If you have, and you'd like to support us, please check out our Patreon page, patreoncom slash pods. Even if you can't support us over there, uh, don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, do all of the things that you do on your preferred podcast app. And of course, we hope you will join us for our next episode on some like, of some like it, Scott, in which our friend Jay Habib will be joining us to conclude the Fincher countdown with David Fincher's brand new film from Netflix, Mank. Uh, But until then for Scott Shelton, I'm Scott Harvey. We'll see you next time.